Alright, good morning everybody. We're going to jump in uh, to a new series. It's called A Good Fight. Or The Good Fight, okay? Uh, this is not a fight between men and women. Uh, but this is really stems out from a particular verse in the Bible where Paul reflected at the end of his life and talked about he fought a good fight of faith, okay? I'll come to that a bit later. But the good fight is really a little bit of our first attempt to do a kind of a marketplace series, okay? And just in case you're a housewife, you're going to shrink back, or you're a student, say, nah, this is nothing to do. No, 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 it has everything to do with you. Uh, because the way we define marketplace is very broad. Uh, technically, marketplace is a place where trading happen, transaction happen. The moment you walk out from this space, especially today, there's a lot of trading going to happen, okay? Without a teens carnival, the food too expensive, not nice, you pray before. But today is a day of grace, okay? Uh, you eat it by faith, by grace, okay? But technically, when you go out there, you do trading every time. You do transact transaction, if a housewife, you buy food and you will know these things as really expensive, uh, things, price is in high cup and, you know, all that actually involves our daily life. Uh, so, we draw that a little bit broad in terms of marketplace, okay? Now, let me just very quickly run down a couple of key thoughts and then we'll jump in, okay? Uh, it's a marketplace series, but it's really for all. Marketplace broadly defined as anything outside of the church or your family walls, which means that outside of this four confined wall and outside of your four confined wall in your household, so to speak, it's all marketplace, okay? So we define it as broad as I can. Now, in life, we spend most of our time in the market. It was said that you spend about eight hours or seven hours uh, sleeping. Uh, it depends. Some of you, are, you know, chase after Champions League or you play games a lot, then you sleep only three, four hours, okay? And uh, then you spend potentially about a couple of hours of time staying at home, dinner or whatever. The rest of the time you actually spend out there. So minimally 30, 40, maybe some of us 50% of our time actually we spend out there, right? Uh, so Marketplace is a very critical, important series. Why? Uh, because the previous series, when we talk about faith, it's a receiving series. It is helping us to put our trust in God. It is helping us to strengthen our muscle. What it means to have faith and endurance. But in this series, it is to live out the brand of faith that God has given unto us in exactly the spot where you're at. So if you're a medical doctor, you're trying to live out, how does that look like in a medical field? Uh, so if you're an engineer, you're trying to Think how does that look like? If you're, a, if you're a business employer, then you try to think how does that look like? How does my faith actually affect the way I live my life? I make my decision. I deal with my employee uh, and I deal with my bosses. How am I going to do all of that? Uh, so obviously when we come to dialogue, there's a lot of things that we can talk through actually in this series. Okay, now marketplace. Biblically, more than 80% of miracles happen in the marketplace. In fact, it's, it's actually more than 90%. Some even say that even 95%. Uh, which means that all that you read in the Bible, beside Peter and John, walk through at the gate called Beautiful, and then the lame, and then in Jesus' name, silver and gold have I none, but what I have in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. That particular story happens in the temple. Most of the miracles happen outside, actually in the marketplace. And I can give you the pole extreme. I can tell you about kings of Israel who were at the top of the league in the food chain of marketplace, who caused the short set policy, and because of the grace of God and the law of God, they set policy that pleases God. 
all the way to a little slave girl, which is potentially the lowest in job description, if I can say that, who were taken as a slave, went to Syria, and be with a general by the name of Naaman, and found out that Naaman had skin disease, and she had enough courage to actually go to Naaman, and potentially the wife, and told them that actually there is a prophet in Israel that if you were to meet up with this prophet, he knows God by the name of Jehovah, he can make a difference. And because of her living out her faith as a slave girl, that brought a miracle into Naaman's household and potentially begins a little bit understanding of who God is in this region called Syria. You think about that. So there was such a pull from palace all the way to the poorest. But they were all living out their marketplace faith in that sense. And you can take the polling, uh, not just to these two different spots. You can take it to David, uh, who, who became a king, and, and when he was a shepherd boy who actually was in the field. So this whole entire pose of marketplace is extremely, extremely wide, okay? Most men and women of God encounter God in the marketplace. So if you were to sit down with Joseph and have a cup of coffee, uh, which later we're going to have Joseph to be part of the dialogue, okay? But if you were to talk to Joseph in the Bible, he'll tell you a particular story about his marketplace. He talked about how one day they went out and the brothers betrayed him and sold him to, into the slave market and how he ended up in Egypt. He met Potiphar's uh, household and then Potiphar's wife, Mrs. Potiphar, uh, seduced him. And he will tell you the story of how he struggled with that and he chose God and he ran away but he ended up in prison. He'll tell you the story when he was caught in prison. He potentially was so lost and said, God, what happened? I stood for you, but I ended up in prison. But little did you know that he kept his faith in God that eventually rewrite the trajectory of his life. He actually became the prime minister. So he will tell you a story of how God with him, living out his faith, changes his marketplace story. Uh, you can go through and Daniel which is really a captive from Israel sent to Babylon. And he'll tell you a story how they were forced to eat the Babylonian food. And then he decided not to give in to that and he chose his uh, keto diet. No, not keto. He's a vegetarian, okay? Yeah, so it's like <laughs> vegan, okay? And uh, whatever it is, okay? Don't, don't make too much out of it, okay? But for that context, he chose to honour God and then the Bible says he raised, eventually rose to the occasion and became the advisor for at least three to four kings in the, in the nation or the kingdom of Babylon and brought about such a massive change which actually brought in the whole historical dealings of God in Babylon, in Persian and Greek and Roman. And, and that was Daniel, incredible story. And I can just go on, you can talk about Nehemiah, a high palace guy uh, whose, whose job is to do food testing only. Uh, no, no, actually more than that, okay? A very highly trusted man. And one day he saw uh, the condition of Israel and the broken wall and he had this little courage and went to the king and the king gave him the edict and then the support and then he went and rebuilt the wall and then the Esther and Peter and if you talk to Peter, Peter will tell you that I was just a fisherman, um, very boring life, big fish, small fish, no fish, lots of fish, uh, sounds very fishy. Uh, but in that journey, one day he talked about a person that stepped into his boat, used it as a platform to talk, and that talk, uh, like a TED Talk, all right? The Jesus TED Talk changes his life. 
and changes everybody's life and how his life was redefined. So if you were to sit down with them and go through every one of them, every one of, of them will tell you this 30, 40, 50 years of my life working outside of the house space, this is my story. Now my question for you is, what's your story? Even to reflect, and potentially sitting here, some of you just started two years old, uh, and when you, are, when you are one to two years old in the marketplace, your story is about how much Milo you can take free, okay? Uh, how you're going to, you know? But once you work for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, actually, what's your story in the marketplace? Now, some people are tell a story of betrayal. I work for this company, and my, my friend betrayed me. My boss betrayed me, and, and that grips, that's the really undergirds their story, I have one of my friends uh, who worked in the same uh, company with me, Datacraft, uh, and, and really felt betrayed by the bosses or felt never gotten what he deserved. And uh, I met him about eight years, seven, eight years down the road, and we were having a mama session together with a couple of friends. We we're just catching up with life. And the moment we mentioned the managing director's name, he stopped and he actually spit on the floor. And he says, if ever I see this person, that is exactly what I do. And his whole entire motivation, he owns a company, rather successful, drives a sport car, I mean, lives in a very, have all kinds of investment, and he kept on saying this. He says, if I were to meet this person, I want this person to know that I can do it without you. And, and I, I can see that bitterness, I can see that hatred, and I see that, and, and, I, and I know you are trying to turn that to be a driving force for you. But the whole motivation it's about the story of because of what someone did to me, I wanted to prove what my worth is all about. Will that be your story? So every one of us will eventually tell a story after your 20, 30, 40 years. What fight are you fighting for? Is that a good fight? Is that going to be a fight where you get upset, you felt betrayed, a fight of bitterness? And what are we entering? Which is why this whole entire Series, okay? Now, Jesus was active in the marketplace because of, uh, he met so many. He met the lawyers, he met the fishermen, he met the Pharisees, and there was just so many marketplace uh, kind of thing. Okay, now, very quickly, the biggest disfavor is when one thinks that there is a divide between the church space and the marketplace, okay? Uh, and I'm trying to say that generally, now, I, I know not all of you think like that, but generally, we have this little thinking, which is what belongs to church is church, so some of you, the moment you step into the marketplace, you curse like nobody business. But when you come to church, you put on a different form. You go, praise the Lord, pastor. Good morning, pastor. The moment you go out, right? Okay, so, so the moment you go out to the office, your lingo change, your behavior change. But when you come to church, you put on a different behavior. You hold your wife's hand. Wow. When you go shopping, you know, yeah, like 10 miles apart, okay? Uh, you know, all of us understand how there is this little thing that we put on, we put off, okay? And that's not what it was meant to be, right? We call it the sacred and circular divide, but that's not what it was meant to be. Who you are in this space has to be who you are outside of this space. Uh, my classic example was uh, one of our church members who, uh, uh, when he owns a sport car, uh, then I found out about it. So when he came to church, I said, hey, I said, how come you're not driving your sport car today? 
And very funnily, this, this person says, he says, oh, pastor, today is Sunday. When it's Sunday, I drive my normal car. But Monday to Friday, I drive my sport car. Okay, so when it comes to that category of thinking, we have this little divide and we say that, okay, this is for Monday, Friday, this is for Sunday. We put on that behavior, our lingo, everything, dressing, everything. We try to behave, but that's not the way it was meant to be. Okay, because there shouldn't be a divide. God meant for us that our faith doesn't contain in these four walls, but our faith is to live out there. Okay, now, so this is what uh, Timothy says. He says, I have fought the good fight of faith at the end of his life. He says, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. By the way, if, if you are really interested what people think of you as a believer, don't ask your life group. Ask your fellow colleague. Ask your bosses. Ask those people who work in and out with you and what are the remarks and comments they will say. He's a selfish person. Uh, he's not very kind. Uh, his words are really harsh. He's not gentle at all. That is really the litmus test, ultimately, of your faith. Okay, now, so I want you to know, I speak out of this series not as a vacuum. So all of you know that I worked for about 10 years in Datacraft, went in as a junior, ended up being a sales director. I understand, I understand senior management decision-making processes, uh, understand P&L, understand a fair bit of what the marketing world has to do. Uh, in that spectrum, I had lots of bribery situations that I had to navigate high-end, low-end, junior, senior, and I always tell people, the junior people who wants to bribe, they are very shy. They'll come to tell you and say, uh, you know, we, we have a sport club. Could, could you, could, you must give to that sport club. Uh, but the senior one, they are very professional. They are very firm. They are very sure. G give me this, I'll give you the project. And they just make a statement and that's it. And they deliver. So I understand. I understand the whole spectrum of that. And we can, we, I won't deal with that, but we can talk about it. Understand what it means to be in the corporate world and immoral life having third party, uh, business acquaintance, travel all over the world, meet women. I understand. I, I, I really understand that space quite well. I understand not because I, I was there. I wasn't there, okay? But I have enough friends who were there. And I think one of my, one of my most uh, difficult conversations was one of my colleagues who just got married and went for a trip uh, with a supplier. It was a man trip. And he says for about three days, they were kept in a hotel in China and there was no limited supply, unlimited supply of women, condom, condom, and everything. We didn't even go out. He says, we just stayed in there, and we just do whatever every man could have imagined. And he came back, and the reason he opened up to me was he was so guilty because he just got married. And he has to confess that to me and help me to bring that balance. Because he doesn't believe in God, so when it comes to all this space of right and wrong, it's very blur for them. Understand that. Understand people who were forced to make a uh, one-night stand and, you know, and bring client. And I understand, the, I understand office gossip. When people talk about this and get and this and that girl, you know, maybe there's an affair. People laugh over it. Understand that. So I want you to know I don't speak from a vacuum. Ten years in the corporate world, no, maneuver that, be a sales guy. Uh, I've seen quite a fair bit. Then I became an entrepreneur. I started Assam House. No, I started, I took over and uh, trying to navigate. So I, I worked from a very professional kind of thing to a very entrepreneur, business owner kind of thing. I used to deal with white collar, now I used to deal on the other side. I'm very different. So first week, took over at some house, uh, a dispute between 
a worker and because claiming that had an affair with the, the other, the husband came with a parang. So you know in corporate world, right, the parang is email. <laughs> Send, you know. Shoot the arrow, right, you know, CC to your regional boss, right? <laughs> now, first week, the guy came with a parang on the floor, on the, on the table, uh, with a newspaper covered, put it there. I want to talk. <laughs> okay, let's talk, let's talk, okay? <laughs> and you, you, how, you need to navigate that space now. Understand? Understand the amount of bribery, UNHCR, not enough workers, foreign laborers, uh, couldn't get the permit. Understand when they were caught by police, if you are a little bit more beautiful, they get molested, honestly, which I really very upset, which is why I in and out police station, in and out police station, fighting for what is right and, and you know, and having to navigate all of that. So I understand, I understand. So I don't speak out of a vacuum, uh, walking that path. But I want you to know that this is my humble suggestion. How does a good fight of faith should look like to every one of you that stays in the marketplace? I want to encourage you, and we're going to talk about this in this series. I pray that everyone, when you tell your story of the marketplace, you're able to tell four different chapters. The first one was a chapter about godliness, how you learn to navigate the tension between godliness and ungodliness. How when your boss comes to you and put that, put that beer and forces you to drink and wants you to get drunk and how can you navigate that? Then write a chapter about being someone that showed and displayed the, the grace of God. The way you talk, the way you decide on salary scheme, the way you help someone to navigate when they were going through their sickness and how are you going to, how can you display the grace of God? Just a couple of days ago, we were talking with one of our church members who left a company and one of the things that hurts this particular person the most was the amount of negative words that was sown and thrown towards this particular person. Useless. Cannot make it. No good out of you. And wake up middle of the night 3 a.m., 4 a.m., and think through and cry for many nights because cannot get rid of those words. And with, when a person felt given the very best to the company, and this is what I get right now. I mean, stories like that are very common. And I still remember having tell the person the verse, Hebrews 12, 2, when Jesus, the Bible says, Jesus, who died on the cross, looked forward towards the future, despised the shame. He shamed the shame. And I said, let's learn how to despise the shame that was hurled at you. And, and, and the next day, the person texts me, he says, I woke up at 4 a.m. this morning and those moments came back and I took your advice, Pastor. I, I learned to come before God and ask God to help me to despise the shame. Help me to look beyond that and look above what God may have in the midst of a difficult situation. So I understand this little space, but do we function with the grace of God? And I know if I'm talking to, as a business owner, the grace of God is different from you are an employee, and especially you are the lowest. But every one of us can display the grace of God. Uh, did you write a story about generosity? Uh, now that you have the biggest blessing, you are, and, and do you show a life of generosity? Uh, and, and write a chapter about the gospel. There were so many people that come across your life that you have a chance to sow the seed of the gospel. You think like that. So these four weekends, we're going to deal with these four different topics. It's a very topical kind of a series, not expository fully, uh, but I hope you walk away thinking, how can I allow the faith of God in me to display godliness, grace, generos generosity, and the gospel? Now today, 
We're going to talk about godliness versus godlessness, okay? Uh, we, won't, we will do our best. We inch into dialogue. It's okay. Uh, then, but 12.30, we need to let you go out because I need you to show godliness outside in these four fences, okay? Which is to cheer the teens, okay? Now, the Bible in Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, verse 1 to 5, gives us a very descriptive what ungodliness looks like. So it says, these are terrible times in the last days. It says that as we inch, and as you look at all these particular words, uh, I'm sure there are pictures, there are names, and, and potentially you see, we see the glimpses of everything in us. We see glimpses of that. He says we are lovers of themselves. We are lovers of our. How many of you agree that we are lovers of ourselves? Wow, some of you not. You, you should, because, because you look into the mirror for so long, you... You know, you, you like, you know, I mean, you, you want your nose to be higher, you know, taller. You know. Okay, never mind. Lovers of money. We are. We want to have the most. Uh, boastful, proud, abusive. Interesting, right? I was just commenting uh, not too long ago, one of the largest churches in New Zealand, the pastor resigned because it was found out that he was very abusive in his structure and the way he led. Uh, that was interesting read. So this, this, doesn't just, this doesn't just say that if our church everything is perfect. Absolutely not. We are all human. Uh, we need each other. We need people to hold us accountable. Uh, disobedient to their parents. Ungrateful. Unholy. Without love. Unforgiving. Slanderous. Boy, you think about that. Uh, people who go around and telling and talking bad about people. Without self-control. Brutal. Not lovers of the good treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness. He says that sometimes this is where we ended up with. We put on this, thank you, pastor, thank you, you know, but, but within us, we have a whole bunch of all that, right? So the Bible paints a clear picture and, and it can express itself very powerfully in our marketplace as we go around. And that is the ungodliness, unrighteousness in the last days, okay? Now, the Bible tells us this. It's the same passage in the Bible. It says, having nothing to do with irreverent, silly myth. Rather, train yourself for godliness. You know, silly myth is, I don't know, some people fight over, uh, the Bible talks about people fight over certain seasons, certain Sabbaths, certain rules. And uh, you know, there are people who fight over, you know, church should be on Saturday, you know, because it's exactly Sabbath, you know what I mean? And some people are so big on that, and if you do that, they thought it's a sin. And you know, some people fight over, you shouldn't celebrate Christmas, all those. I just want you to know, the Bible says those are not real gospel expression. He called it silly smith. Potentially, some of you offended. Rather, train yourself for godliness. He says, what we need to focus is to train the muscle for godliness. Because bodily training is of same value, some value. Godliness is of value in every way for life, now, and future. So the Bible will very clear. He says, when it comes to the space of godliness, the question is not, am I godly? The question is, do I train myself to be godly? Do I train myself? So, then how do you train yourself? I want to propose two very quick thoughts, and I have no time to dwell into it. You train, first of all, your internal conviction. Everything begins with a conviction. Whenever people ask me a question, Pastor, should I bribe? Should I give tithes? Should I... Actually, I don't give them answer. I just, I just ask them, what's your conviction? Because if you cannot define your conviction, 
a lot of the external practices, our chores, are really worked. You see, I have a conviction of serving God. Whatever I do day and night, I can ask my wife, I am very energized. I really am. And you would not even want to know my schedule, honestly, and the amount of hats I have to wear. But I am always energized because I'm excited because I have a conviction about serving God. I have a conviction about serving God. I have a conviction to believe in making disciples. So you, you have to always grow that conviction. Without that conviction, everything that you do is a chore. It's as simple as that. Some of us, we have a conviction to earn a lot of money. That's why when it comes to that space, you never get tired because that's your conviction. So to practice godliness, you must have conviction, number one. Number two, learn the external practices. So you have an internal conviction and external practices. You always go with that. Your internal character and your, your external engagement. It's, it's always come with an internal and external posture. So learn that. Once you grow in that, you are able to navigate a powerful journey when it comes to godliness in your life, okay? Now, very quickly, I want to, uh, I want to end by saying a couple of things and then maybe with a particular story to bring all this to a close, okay? Now, I know time is choo-choo train, but listen to me. Godliness is something that you can be trained. I have no capacity to cover every angle. And number two, I don't have all the answers. All I have, there are principles that can guide us, guide us as we work through that particular space. So like I say, I think as a businessman, I, I have a fair bit. Uh, when I was working for DataCry, I have to maneuver through all that I just mentioned. But I became an entrepreneur. Uh, in fact, um, I think as an entrepreneur, because I wanted to fight for as many of our workers are legal, uh, we literally were cheated by anywhere 50 to 60, 70,000 because of agents who took the money and never fulfilled. Uh, first of all, the system by itself, immigration, was set up for really a bribery kind of a system because you have to go through an agent to get things done. The moment you go through layers of agent, it sets everything up. The system itself, uh, it's, it's challenging, okay? I understand that. But because when you are trying to fight for that, you will then need to go through. So you have to pay a price for godliness. I guarantee you that. So when, I, when we decided to say no to bribery, we had to pay a price. Some, some, some client will literally thank us, walked away. Uh, I, will never, I will never forget. Actually, it's one of my friends who, whom I met and gave a business to me and, and wanted a certain amount of bribery. And I sat down with this particular person after work one day and we were just having a mama. And I looked at the person, I said, you know, this amount that you get may be worth your three to four months salary. I said, do you think it's really worth it? Uh, and, and he said, okay, you know, I listen to you, Pastor. I, I, I do not want. We won the project, the upgrade, immediately swing it to another company. And I understand, I understand all that. So you pay for godliness. But I want you to know, this is what the Bible says. So the Bible says, could you read together? But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn which shines brighter and brighter until you Turn to your neighbor, say brighter and brighter. Whenever you choose to land at the path of godliness, the Bible promises your path shines brighter and brighter. You may not drive the biggest car. You may not have the biggest house. But I guarantee you, your path shines brighter and brighter. I think about the past few weeks of the verdict 
that was decided for a former prime. And I want to say this place very carefully because it's a lot of political maneuvering, okay? But I thought about his path. Uh, and I know you will say, Pastor, so many people got, run away, right? Get away. Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll deal with that dialogue, okay? But my point is this, when you and I, now I cannot decide everybody's path, but I can decide for my path. I can decide for my path that I am going to walk and I pray that my path will shine brighter and brighter and brighter. And that path will be shared by my family, by my children as they grow old and they know that is the path that we need to walk. So I tell you one story which some of you have heard it before but if you are new, you've never heard this before. Uh, so I think at the peak of my career in, when I was working for the, for the corporate company, uh, we were invited actually for a public no, sorry, we were invited for a senior management kickoff meeting of the year. Uh, by then, we had about 20 over 1,000 employees all over the world, uh, 200 over, so almost 1% was actually invited. Uh, I represent Malaysia together with my senior managing director, so we were there. And uh, we were invited to Thailand, and because Thailand won a massive deal, a couple of hundred millions, you know. And I still remember that the first night, the managing director of Thailand came and was retelling the story how they won the deal. It's a huge telco deal. And part of the story was, as he tells the story, there's very little technical business content. He, he very quickly jumped into the sleazy space and talked about the night where everything was sealed. They had a good dinner. Then they took them out to a place where girls were dancing on the table and everybody can choose how many girls you want and then they have a fantastic night and the moment the next day they woke up they signed a deal and he went on and the more he tells the story the more people were clapping laughing and they get more sleazy and more you know all that and by the time he finished the story everybody 200 over stood up and gave him standing ovation and I still remember in my mind by that and I, I and I, I'm very sure I wasn't I wasn't being a Pharisee. I wasn't being religious that I'm righteous. You know, I'm not, I'm not. But in my mind, this is running my mind. It's one thing when the world does all this thing in a hush-hush manner. It's another thing when the world applauds for such mannerism. And I think when it comes to the bribery space, our nation has one of the biggest challenges because everything is so open and so bold about it. So it's one thing. So when everybody stood up and clapped, I did not. I, I sat down there. This this top management, okay? My, my managing director, which was two to three seats away, saw me and kept on just doing this. Just asked me to stand up. I, I, I look at my managing director. I said, I said, I can't. I really can't. I really can't. Um, so I was... I can't say I was blacklisted by the event. But I knew for the next few years, my managing director has to fight the battle every time to go for regional, global, senior management. When can they get rid of me? Just because of... I, I, I don't do anything that they did. In fact, eventually, I led entire sales team where Gokin and uh, JP Jinpui, which is right now in, in, in Singapore, which all you know are part of our church, and Gokin, I had the honor to let him to Christ and our entire team stood for righteousness and I still remember when they hired a new sales director who walked in sat down with them and said you don't drink you don't do and then he says he walked out he went to my managing director and says I want to change the whole team 
Now, I'm not saying that just because, oh, we are good, we are great. No, no, I'm saying that. I'm just saying that that's the reality of the battle. And I understand some of us were in that space. But when I decided to make my stand on that day, I know it's going to pay a price. Now, so, the managing director promised everybody, if you want to experience all that they experienced, tomorrow night is the night. So the next day, there's about five to six other people, then they come and say, we follow the pastor, we follow the pastor. So a whole bunch of us, about five, six of us, actually stay back in the hotel, we play ping pong, <laughs> we watch, you know. Um, you know, when your past shines brighter and brighter, when any of them have problem in their life, you know who do they call? They come to you. What do I do with my son that's like that? What do I do with my marriage that's like that? You may not be able to have what the world so-called offered, but the Bible promises that when you choose to be, uh, to walk the path of righteousness, it says your path will shine brighter and brighter. For your children, for your next generation, that path will be brighter. So I want to encourage you. This is where faith matters. Faith doesn't matter. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Faith really matters when you're out there and you have to face with those decisions. So we kickstart this series. I hope it's something that we can walk away, re-evaluating our life and thinking about, God, how can I better order you in where you have called me?